and uh, our series that we've been involved in called Living Like Jesus fits perfectly. In fact, next Sunday, uh, on Easter Sunday, uh, our final message in this series will be called Living Like Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, up from the grave he arose. He arose uh, victorious, mighty over his foes. Amen. And so we're looking forward to a great Sunday next Sunday, not only celebrating Easter, but bringing a great climax to this series on learning to live like Jesus. And let me just say to you today, if for some reason you've missed some, uh, if you're a Facebooker, I haven't talked to Ike about this, but I know there, uh, if you go to our Facebook page, you can find them, the, the live video and I don't know if they're on our website. I don't really, uh, they, they may be audio-wise, I don't know. But just plug in and let's just uh, continue to learn to live like Jesus all the days of our life. If you're going to follow him, you have to live like him. Amen? And so with that in mind, let's pray today and let's ask the Lord to speak to us as we prepare our hearts and prepare our lives to be more and live more and be more and more like Jesus. Father, thank you for the word of God. Today, Lord, as we pause and as we think of you and as we thank you for all you've done and especially uh, what you did in the last week, Lord God, of your life here on earth, we thank you for that and we just give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. With that in mind, let me just kind of remind you about a couple of things that we've been focusing on and you still have time to do it and would encourage you to do them all the days of your life. Four things that we've been encouraging people to do. Number one, read the red. Everyone say, read the red. In fact, if you're on my email, church email list, I emailed you uh, not just to read the red, but uh, I got a little uh, a Holy Week reading guide from uh, uh, Robert Morris this morning. He emailed it to me, and so I kind of edited it down just for the, uh, I took out, pardon me, Robert, I took out your letter and just borrowed your reading guide. Uh, but you can read through, not just the red, but he adds some some uh, different scriptures that, that really uh, undergird all the things that happened uh, uh, during Holy Week. Uh, let me ask you this question, just kind of as a, a, a side little um, tidbit. What day of Holy Week, from Monday through, from Sunday to Sunday, what day is nothing in Scripture that was recorded that nothing happened? Anybody know? Wednesday. Everybody say Wednesday. In fact, when I looked at it, there was nothing Wednesday. There's no, uh, you know, things were happening, but no significant events happened on Wednesday. And, 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 uh, theologians just have to hypothesize that very possibly Jesus and his disciples were worn out and needed a little rest before Jesus. I know Jesus did before he moved on in to that day when he laid down his life for all of us. So, so read. Everyone say read the red. Number two, pray. We encourage your prayer life to grow stronger. Jesus departed. If you're going to live like Jesus, we need to pray like Jesus. He departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Okay? And then two more words that we're encouraging everyone. Come. Of course, come to church. Don't forsake the assembling of to ourselves together. Be faithful. Uh, and then number four, care. Care for other people. We're going to talk about that especially today. Uh, and so, keep 
keep that in mind and keep those thoughts in mind. Our keynote scripture, though it's not on the screen, is Galatians 2.20 that says, I've been crucified with Christ. Paul said, and we'll talk about this again today, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Everyone say, Christ lives in me. See, Paul realized that, that in order for Christ to live in me and me to live like him, he has to live on the inside of me. You can't just imitate him. He has to be living through you. Could I get a better amen? He said, Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh or in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And everyone say, amen. With that in mind this morning, Holy Week represents the beginning of the last week of Jesus living on earth. And so there's a lot we can learn from Jesus in this last week. And it represents the culmination or the culmination of all that it means to live like Jesus. And so this week is very important. If we're going to learn to live like him, it's important to embrace his life, especially in this last week of his life. When I say the last week of his life on earth, I certainly mean interesting little insight that you may or may not know that the, of the four gospels, which is really the record of his story. It's not just history. It's the record of his story. Everyone say his story. And it was historical for sure. It was, it was, it was life changing. It was globally impacting the last week of the life of Christ. It represents his story and really uh, the last three years of his life. We know very little of his, his, uh, first years and just a little bit about his birth, of course, and then just a little bit about his childhood, very little. And then again, now here we are at the last uh, three years, uh, the Gospels tell us about Jesus. Now, from the Gospels, listen very carefully, one-third of Matthew is dedicated to Holy Week. You get it? One-third of Mark is dedicated to Holy Week. And then, and you look in Luke, and Luke was more detailed about a lot of things. Uh, one quarter of Luke is dedicated to Holy Week. And if you go to John, one half of the Gospel of John is dedicated to the last week of his life, to Holy Week. So what does that say to us when you think about the, the scheme of things? What does that, what does that speak? Undoubtedly, the last week of Jesus' life was the most important, uh, in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the plan and, or in the purpose and plan of God for all of humanity. And so it's important for us not to just look at this as a religious holiday, but a very important time in the life of Christ that moved history to a place of being and humanity to a place of having the opportunity to come back into right relationship with Father God. And everybody said amen. And so it's God's eternal emphasis for all of humanity the last week of the life of Christ. And so, once again, I want to encourage you to read through those those portions of Scripture and just embrace uh, the uh, as much as you can the totality of who Jesus is and what He came to do. And so, it ought to move us to a place where we, even as they did on that first Sunday morning, Hosanna to the Son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When we realize why he came, he came. And here's what it says in Matthew 20. It says this, verse 28, the son of man, these are the, this is the red. We're going to talk about serving like Jesus. Everyone say serving like Jesus. Matthew 20, verse 28, the son of man did not come to be served, but to what? In fact, let's start over. Let's read it together. Here it is. The son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So we see in the life of Christ that, that the Holy Week and the final days of Jesus' life, uh, pardon me, here on planet Earth, all are about his responsibility, his call, his destiny to serve God and serve humanity by being willing and able and obedient to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. That's why we have Christmas. How many of you love Christmas? I love Christmas. Jesus is born. Why was he born? He was born to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And understand, if we're going to live like Jesus, we've got to learn to serve like Jesus. And when you look at the life of Christ and his heart of service, oh, my friends, it's a, it, it is a high calling, if you will. We think of serving as a lowly place, and it certainly is because we humble ourselves. We'll read it in a moment, and we serve. But my friends, in the eyes of God, it's a great calling because the Bible says if you want to be great, in the kingdom of God, you must learn to be the what? The servant of all. And so true greatness in God's eyes is through serving. That's how God looks at it. That's how we ought to look at it. And if we're going to live like Jesus, we've got to learn to serve like Jesus. With that in mind, if you're in Philippians, I'm going to read you 11 verses. I want you to follow along with me. And I want you to embrace these thoughts. And then I'm going to give you very simply some thoughts we can take from Philippians and then other corresponding verses that will empower us and equip us and enable us to be able to make the choice, if you will, the commitment to serve like Jesus. Paul said this in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then note verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, now he's not changing the subject here. 
You know, he just talked about us not, uh, he talked about being of like mind, of like heart, like lo- loving one another, and, and let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself, and don't look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind, that mind that I just told you about, uh, that was in Jesus, be in you. And then he goes on, and he expounds on this thought. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, uh, there's, there's a lot of ways to look at that. Let me just say, he did not think, when he looked at his life and what he was about to do, he did not feel robbed because he, in a sense, laid down his God-likeness or his, his, his divine nature and became like a man. Now, he was all God, but he was all man. In other words, it says he didn't feel slighted. He didn't feel uh, 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 deprived because of the responsibility he took to go to the cross. So with that in mind, it says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. You see that? He was in the form of God. But he took the form of a what? Everyone say a bondservant. He took the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the what? The death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. You know, I've misquoted this before. I've said given him a name. It's not a name, it's the name. How many of you know there's only one name above every other name? And his name is Jesus. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of, somebody say his name, Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And everyone said amen. How many of you know it's the will of God for your family to confess Jesus Christ is Lord? It's the will of God, the desire of God for, for all of humanity to be able to experience the benefits of the cross. And not only the benefit of the cross, but the benefit of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's what I want you to see about Jesus. And what I want you to see about servitude and about serving like Jesus. To serve like Jesus, undoubtedly, when you look at the life of Christ, it takes total commitment. Everyone say total commitment. Jesus was totally committed to the cross. Even though he struggled in his manness, if you will. He was all God, but he was all man. And we know there in the garden, he, he asked the Lord three times if he, he would take this cup away from him. And he said, nevertheless, not my will. You notice something. God never spoke when Jesus said, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. God just knew, come on, you got to work through this. And Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And when you study the life of Christ, Jesus knew why he was coming. He knew what the ultimate end would be. 
He knew that he was on his way to the cross. When he came into Jerusalem and everyone was praising him, Jesus knew that within a week he would have died and rose again. He knew. And so he knew the will of God and he was totally committed. He was totally committed to the call of God, the, the call of God to serve humanity with his death, burial, and resurrection, to serve his Father, uh, God, with all his heart. Everyone say total commitment. And so he was totally committed. In fact, here's one thing you and I need to learn about servitude. It's not a part-time endeavor. It's not, well, I'm going to serve the Lord in the nursery on Sunday. How many of you know that's not the totality of service? Well, I I, I helped uh, uh, you know mow the grass uh, at the church, or I helped to put put up the tables from last week's big hoopla. So I serve the Lord at church, and we tend to think that's that's the. How many of you know that's just a, a small expression of a great big idea when it comes to serving the purpose of God in our life. Jesus' service was was absolute. His servant's heart was absolute. He absolutely served God even to the point of the death on the cross. And so there, there's it's a it's a total commitment. In fact, remember what Jesus said in Matthew six when he said about you can't serve two masters. You remember that he was talking about money, but he says you you can't serve two different things. You know, a lot of us, and, and I'm, I'm not being legalistic here, but we serve here in our community and we serve there. But when it comes to our hearts, when it comes to our allegiance, well, there is no such thing uh, uh, in, in the mindset of God to have a divided allegiance when it comes to who's really in charge of our life. You see, I serve other people, but I'm really serving God. You see, when you, when you work in the nursery, you're not just serving mothers or when you work in serving children's church or wherever you serve, you're not just serving those, you're serving God. We, we do our work as unto who? As unto the Lord and not to men. And so there's no such thing as divided allegiance. You can't serve God in money. You can't wake up one day and say, well, you know, I'm going to serve my job here, and I'm going to be totally committed to my job. And the, oh, it's Sunday morning. I better be totally committed to Christ. How many of you know we're totally committed to Christ, and from there we serve? Are you with me? Say amen. And so there's no such thing. It's a total commitment. I've heard people and I've talked to people who have this mindset when they think about God or when they've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they don't quite understand lordship and they say, well, I'm going to try this a little while and see if it works out. I'm going to try Jesus. How many of you know you don't try Jesus? He was already tried and he already was convicted, falsely, uh, falsely accused, convicted, and died and rose again. You don't try him just to see like you try a new restaurant. You don't check him out to see. Listen, uh, it's either total commitment. It's, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Amen. And so with that in mind, I want to just give you some thoughts about this total commitment mindset that I see here in Philippians chapter 2, number 1. If we're going to serve like Jesus, it takes a commitment to crucify. Everyone say crucify. You say, what do you mean? Well, go back to before we get to let this vine be in you. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done 
through selfish ambition or conceit. Everyone say selfish ambitions. Now, did you know that's a work of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5? If you go to Galatians 5, what you'll find is that this selfish ambition is a work of the flesh. You know, Galatians 5, there's the works of the flesh, and then there's the fruit of the Spirit. Everyone say works of the flesh, and then fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul identifies this fleshly nature by giving, and, and oh, there's some bad things. In fact, let me just go over there. I, I don't want to depress you, but uh, now the works of the flesh, verse 19, are evident, which are adultery. That Everybody go, ooh. Fornication, ooh. Uncleanness, ooh. Lewdness. Now that just, that lewdness, it, it just, it just, Sounds bad. It's a work of the flesh. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. Right there in the middle of all this stinky stuff, something that this world might even applaud. Man, he's real motivated. He's real ambitious in his job. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes selfish in nature, rather than serving in nature, that's a work of the flesh. Are you with me? Selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now verse 24, here it is. Now, what did he say back in Philippians? Man, don't let there be any selfish ambition. Don't let the flesh in here. And then he says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so if we're going to serve like Jesus, and Philippians 2 is everything to do about serving like Jesus, we can't let self into play. Self cannot be a part of the serving of God. In fact, a lot of people serve God out of selfish ambitions. They've heard this gospel, and I put that in quote. They've heard the message that if you do this, you do that, and you pull this lever, and you say this right, and you go to church this many times, God will bless you. In fact, I'm not going to point any fingers, but you go to the bookstore. Oh, wait, you about can't go to the bookstore here anymore. I, you get online and, and you start studying. Maybe, I, and I haven't even done this, Google most popular Christian books in the, in the 20th century, and much of them have to do with us. About living, get, get, it's about being, and it, and it, and so many, and I better be careful. Some ways it plays into selfish ambition. I'm going to serve God because I want this from Him. How many of you know that doesn't work? And so understand, if you're going to serve like Jesus, you got to live like Jesus and be willing to die as Jesus did. He, you know, before He ever died, He died. He died to his self. He died to his will. 
And he took upon himself the form of a bondservant. He, in a sense, was the, the, uh, whatever there was in him that was man, that was selfish, he allowed that to be crucified before he was ever crucified. Well, how do we do that? Well, gosh, there's a lot of ways. But here in Galatians, it says if we live in the Spirit, we can also walk in the Spirit. How many of you appreciate the fact that Jesus gave us the capacity, gave us the Holy Spirit to help us live a crucified life? A life that is crucified to selfish ambitions. And that was the case with Jesus. He lived a life of selflessness, not selfishness. Are you with me? Say amen. In fact, Paul said this. It's not in your notes, but he said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He said, I die daily. How many of you, that kind of makes you feel a little better. Because we tend to think that when I give my life to Christ, uh, I'm just, uh, my flesh is dead. And, and in fact, Romans 6 says, I'm buried with him through baptism unto death and raised to walk in newness of life. And so that's what happened on the cross. It gave us the power to say nope to dope, and no to sin, and yes to Jesus, and not be the slave of sin any longer. But it, hey, listen, in order for us not to be the slave of sin, we must embrace the cross Embrace what Christ has done for us and then embrace the life of Christ, which is a lifestyle of service. And if you were to read through Romans 6, and you should, give your neighbor one of these, just pat him on the shoulder and say, you should read Romans 6 today. Read Romans 6 today. Come on, Jeff, read Romans 6 today, man, because it'll tell you that you're no longer a slave to sin. You see, before you gave your life to Christ, you couldn't help it. I'm just a natural born sinner. But after the cross, I can say no to sin and yes to Jesus, and then I present my members, that is my mind, every part of me, as instruments of righteousness to God, and I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. In other words, I'm committed to live a crucified life. And let me say that crucified life is not a one-time for us. It is a daily thing. Today, I choose to, to die to myself and, and I choose to serve Him. You know why it is? You know why it is that every once in a while you wake up and realize it's been three or four days and I haven't done anything for Christ. I haven't prayed good. I've just been busy about the business of life and I seem a little disconnected to the things of God and, and, and I'm, I seem more tempted to the ways of this world and I may have even stumbled a time or two in thought or even in action. You know why? that is, is because we let days go by without crucifying our flesh. I got some happy and not so happy. But it's the truth. And so Jesus lived a crucified life. Even before the cross, he was crucified. And we have that same responsibility. If we're going to serve like Jesus... Because when you, when you read Philippians, his heart of service was, was born out of a crucified life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. No selfish ambition. No selfishness. I just got to stop and say, thank God for the cross. Amen. Thank God for the cross. The old hymn, 
I don't think I could sing it. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there? The old hymn says, I was there. I was on the cross. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Galatians 2, 20. In the life I now live, I live a... By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, so if you're going to serve like Jesus, uh, Jesus oh, let me back up. Uh, and Jesus said this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, give his life a ransom for many. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a total commitment. <laughs> to be able to every day say, Lord... Let me be dead to my own flesh. I lay myself on the altar of sacrifice. Not my will. Your will be done. It's a commitment to crucify number two. To serve like Jesus takes total commitment. Not only commitment of crucifixion of ourself, but a commitment to concede. Everyone say concede. Concede means to surrender or submit. And we see here in Philippians, Jesus absolutely conceded. He yielded. He surrendered. He submitted who he was to the will of God. He surrendered his life. He surrendered heaven's glory for earthly humanity. Can you imagine you know, I've heard this before and I don't, I've never, I've never been to heaven, but I've heard and read stories of people and I know people personally who died and, and came back and said, Ooh, I was there. My former pastor, Pastor Howard can answer back years ago in 1976, I think. He was preaching on Sunday morning and he started feeling a funny pain and, and, uh, he turned it, the service over to, a, long story short, they rushed him to the hospital, and he died in the emergency room. And he saw heaven. And so weeks later, he came back and told the story. He said, the saddest moment of my life, after having experienced that, was to hear the doctor say, we've got him resuscitated, take him to ICU. I've never heard people who've had those kind of experiences say, uh, I want to go back. Conversely, Jesus left it and came here, surrendered himself he conceded, submitted to the God, the Father. And that's why we see in, in the garden where he says, nevertheless, not my will. He, he yielded himself. He surrendered. He submitted. In fact, as we read just a moment ago in verse 6 in Philippians, being in the form of God, he took the form of a servant. In fact, that word servant means slave. That has a whole new level of understanding. 
I willingly give myself over to the ownership of someone. I am now their slave. That's what Jesus did. That's what it says. He took the form of a servant, a bondservant, a slave. And that's what Paul called himself, Romans 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, you heard that before. Paul, a, a bondservant of God. He embraced the reality that I'm committed to this thing called lordship. You see, lordship is not, is, is not just mere partnership with God. It's absolute surrender to him. Are you with me? It's a surrender to the will of God. It's total and it's absolute. In fact, to be born again, did you know it takes lordship? It takes surrender to say, to say, hey, you are now in charge. I'm no longer in charge. I concede uh, the, the, the controls, if you will, of my life. I give over the reins of my life to you. I'm no longer in charge. You're in charge. And that's what it takes to be a servant of God. To be, a, to serve like Jesus, you've gotta, you've gotta commit, be totally committed to crucifying the flesh and totally committed to giving up and conceding absolute control of your life into his absolute control over your life. And that's the will of God. If you go on down, we read it, Philippians 2. He said this, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above, given him, there I did it, given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should do what? Of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should do what? Confess what? That Jesus Christ is Savior? No, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Somebody say, Lord. That's the will of God. And so for us to serve like Jesus, we embrace the will of God and we confess Him as Lord. For He is Lord. We sing it. But it's another thing to live it. It's total commitment. A total commitment to crucify our flesh. A total commitment to concede to the will of God and the ways of God and surrender ourselves as bond servants of God. Slaves of God. Slaves of righteousness. Are you with me? Say amen. Everybody say read Romans 6. You gotta read Romans 6. You gotta, you gotta embrace this new, uh, uh, there's a, there's a new sheriff in town, if you will. And his name is Jesus. And it's the will of God for every knee to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not of, of heaven, but of my life. You see, when we sing He is Lord, we tend to think, you know, globally or, you know, He's Lord over all the earth. No, he, well, He's not Lord over all the earth if He's not Lord over our hearts. So when we sing, you, you kind of get the picture. We think He's Lord. Man, He's in charge. Well, how about Him being in charge of our life? Amen. 
Serving like Jesus takes total commitment, commitment to crucify, commitment to concede. And here's number three. Listen carefully. And I think this is real, the real proof in the pudding of servitude. It's a commitment to care. It's a commitment to care. That's what he said was the mind of Christ. He said this in verse 3 of chapter 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. You know, servitude doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself. How many of you know you're supposed to love God and love yourself? But it doesn't mean that self takes priority over the will and the purpose of God for our life. And Paul comes along and says this. He says, hey, listen, if you want to serve like Jesus, if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to care about others just like Jesus cares about others. And when you look at the life of Christ and how he cared about people, don't forbid the children to come to me. He cared about the tax collector. How many of you, it's not April 15th yet, but how many of you have been praying and serving the tax? I mean, come on. Yeah, oh, the tax collector. Jesus cared about the tax collector. He cared about people. He cared about people who didn't care about him. And he served people. He washed. I've never got here. I just have to be honest. He washed the disciples' feet. Ultimate act of service. And if we're going to serve like Jesus, we've got to care about people. I think it's one of the big, biggest signals of true surrender. When we look at our life and realize, man, I care about people. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The religious people walked around the person in need. Hmm. But the good Samaritan, he came along and he poured in the oil and the wine. Amen. Truth be known, somebody came alongside you somewhere sometime and poured in the oil and the wine. Amen. Wow. It's a commitment to care. How do you do that? Here's an interesting phrase in verse 7. Jesus said, he made himself of no reputation. Now that, you pick that apart a little bit. You got to look at the original. It really means basically this. He emptied himself of himself. You ever told, you ever seen anybody, somebody may have said this to you, but you look at some people, he's just so full of himself. 
I have some friends <laughs> who, who, when you get around them, all the I'm, I'm all they want to talk about is themselves. And if they talk about you, they want to do so in light of themselves. Oh, you're here, I'm there. They're so full of themselves. Have you ever been full of yourself? We all have. And if we want to care about others, we got to empty ourselves of ourselves. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about others. I wonder what would happen if this week if me, you, and us, and we, we just said to ourselves, you know, it's not all about me. It's about others. Yeah, I have to take care of myself. I have to take care of my family. You know, there's responsibilities I have, but I'm not just going to look at my own life. I'm going to look out for the interests and the cares and the concerns of others. My wife is in the nursery today. She's caring for others. But I'll tell you something that I'm embracing over my wife. And this is so simple. This, this is, this probably shouldn't even be an illustration. My wife wants to go see the blue bonnets. You know where I'm going tomorrow? To see the blue bonnets. I could sleep really good at night having not seen the blue bonnets. I'm sure I will enjoy the blue bonnets. But my wife's interest and obsession to a point is the blue bonnets. And she's nervous that the, the storm blew them all away last night and yesterday. I said, no, they pop right back up. I have a friend who saw them on Saturday. I said, look, there's a picture, Beverly. The blue bonnets live. That's not a very good illustration, but what I, but what I realized, this is the interest of someone else. And I'm going to do what I can to crucify my flesh. But let's get deeper and wider. There's a lot of people who have a lot more interests and concerns way beyond blue bonds. Way beyond even the rent money. We have the oil and the wine. We have the answer. We have the way to eternity. We have the good news. You know why it's Good Friday when Jesus died? Because Jesus died. So you and I wouldn't have to die. He paid a price for us so we could live. So we could be his child and be born again. That's Good Friday. Amen. It's a commitment to crucify. If you're going to serve like Jesus, you got to say, Lord, not my will. I'm crucifying my selfish ambitions. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the cross that gives me the power to, to live a crucified life. Uh, and I'm, I'm committed to concede my control of my life. You are Lord. I'm not Lord. I'm a slave of God. And I'm committed to care for that which concerns you. People that, that concern you. I, we, you know why we do agua resources? Because we care about people. We care about people who either have to buy that in a bottle or walk a mile to get it out of a well. Little kids go to school and don't have that. 
People spend much of their day going to a place to find, hopefully go to, to one of our wells and find that, so they have that. And what I've realized over the years, that, that, that clean water changes everything. You say, that doesn't change their hearts. Well, it might if I give them clean water and talk to them about Jesus. It affects their health, it affects their, their, their finances, it affects every area of their life, and I care about people. The last good well I drilled six weeks ago, less than six weeks ago, was for a friend of Larry Myers who was his first pastor in Atoyak. I forget his name, I couldn't, he was a happy guy. We drilled a well in his little community over close to Zewatanejo. And they were so excited. And I get back home within three days. That man went to heaven. I have a picture of me and him. I said, today he's really smiling. He cared not only about his family, but his community. He cared about them. We cared about them. We, you, you know, if you don't care about people, that's not like Jesus. Are you with me? It's a commitment to care. And then let me give you one more. I, I got, I just been rambling. Now I only have one minute. I'm sorry. It's a commitment to complete. And you say, come on, pastor, wrap it up. A commitment to complete the will of God. If you're going to serve God, you're going to serve Him to the end and finish what He called you to finish and complete what He called you to do. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you know He completed it. He was obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted Him. He finished His race. I love what He said early in His life in John 4. He said, my food is to do the will of God and to finish His work. And then as he prayed in John 17, just hours before the cross, he says, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And his last words on planet earth before he died, it is finished. I've had people say, Pastor, I'll, I'll help, I'll serve. And then you wonder, where are they? They didn't have a heart to finish. A true servant says, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. You know what, what's cool about Jesus? He's committed to finish what he started in you. If he's committed to keep working in you, we ought to be committed to keep serving him. In fact, if you went back to Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work in you, we'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's absolutely committed to finish what he started in you. He's not going to quit on you. Give your neighbor a fist bump. Say, he's not going to quit on you. We can quit on him. I met a lady one time years ago. Served the Lord many years, and she said this out of her mouth to me. I gave the Lord the first 25 years of my life. And now the rest of them are mine. 
And I said, I said this, I had the same feeling you said. She says, I did my time. She missed the whole point. And so today, if we want to serve like Jesus, it takes total commitment. Total commitment to be crucified to ourselves. Total commitment to concede uh, uh, control of our life and let him be Lord. Total commitment to, to absolutely and teetotally say, you are Lord. Total commitment to complete the will of God over our life and not quit. Amen. Let's stand together. Jesus, as we leave this place, may the total commitment of servitude to care for others the way you care for us, to submit ourselves to your will and plan for our life, to finish what you started, to live a crucified life. May we embrace that this week, especially even as we take these invitations to friends and family members. Invite them to Easter Sunday knowing that very possibly they could be born again, transformed by the power of the gospel. We thank you for that. Lord, let us, as Paul said, die daily. Lord, today we just yield ourselves to the cross. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live not, not in our own flesh, but by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you today. It's a great day. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, what do we got to do? We got to learn to be the servant of all. It's a learning curve. It's a learning process. This week, let's learn how to live the crucified life. Let's learn how to live a, a, a life submitted to the lordship of Christ. Let's learn how to care for others more than we care for ourselves. Let's learn how to complete what God has called us to do and not quit. Are you with me? Say amen. God bless you. Love somebody before you leave. Give them a hug, a handshake.